Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Jean-Michel Beaulieu, part of the Montreal-based fixed income sales team, and Francois Leclerc, one of our provincial bond traders. This week's episode is titled, Is It Time to Worry? I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzis at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Welcome back to the podcast, both of you gentlemen. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you on again. I think we're going to have an excellent conversation here. Uh, JM put out a, uh, a an email on his macro thoughts recently, so I'm, I'm going to touch on that. And uh, any listeners out there who who want it, you should reach out to to, to JM, and he'll uh, hopefully add you to his list if he's if he's kind enough. It's definitely been an interesting time in in uh, in the bond market generally, and uh, first of all, will give us uh, some some good insights on the uh, on, on the provincial market. Uh, so, gentlemen, welcome back. Thanks a lot. Happy to be here. Yeah, likewise, Ben. Nice to be back. Why don't we start on the macro side? Because uh, I mean that that's that's what it's all about right now, and inflation and bond market chaos, and 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 so on and so forth. Jam, you have historically been not particularly bullish on inflation. Uh, let, let's put it that way. And now I I seem to sense a change of heart, at least a little bit, an inkling of it. Yeah. Uh, what what what's what's changed your mind? Why why the shift? I mean, that's that's definitely a huge debate right now. A debate that, that I, I believe is still. I think we're in the early innings of of figuring out if we're uh, moving into a structurally higher inflation or not. There, there's going to be uh, you know quite a few months of data. And, and information to 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 gather in terms of uh, getting to know where we're headed, um, but I mean, for sure, uh, the, the fiscal policy has been changing. We've been we've been having huge huge fiscal stimulus over the last uh, year and a half, which we never had over uh, the last ten or twelve past year, except maybe for Trump uh, is uh, is packaged. He signed, I believe, in 2018. Otherwise, it's just a gigantic amount of money that is reaching consumer. But uh, and there's there's definitely a a a transitory inflation that we're living right now, and uh, that I believe should fade, and but should fade into what kind of inflation? That's that's the that's the huge question. I mean, I, I could argue on both sides that inflation will be back to more normal levels i could also argue on the other side i think that the demography will surprise us as an inflation structural shift this is contrarian to most people's view but i i i 100 believe that once once people retire 
it, it becomes it becomes inflationary. You stop supplying products, you stop supplying your work capacity, and and you basically live on your stack of money that you've you've piled over the last few years. Have have did you read the book that I recommended a while ago? Is that where this uh, is coming I, from? I I I didn't read it. Uh, I okay. I read the um, the resume of it. Okay. And, and I, it's, it's, it's totally true. I mean, and this is, this is what we're seeing. And, and I believe that that might be an actually an impact adverse impact of, of the feds, uh, inflating the asset base. So we've been saying that for the last, you know, 12 years, fed have, has been inflating assets and not anything in the real economy. So they've been printing and thinking that there were no adverse consequences, but now we might see uh, the very first signs of the adverse consequences of, of printing money and, and inflating assets. Because what you saw recently is that um, about 2% of the labor force 55 years and over left. Uh, so participation rate went from 40.3% to 38.4%. So about 2%, which on about the population of 100 million represent basically 2 million people that left the workforce. Something that we did not see in 2009-2010 recovery because obviously people were kind of broke. Their stock portfolio was worth less. Their, their household was worth less. Housing, uh, sorry. Nowadays, like everybody's rich, um, we, like your house is worth maybe a million, your stocks, your bond portfolio, everything is super high, super rich. And so what you see is that um, people are saying, you know what, why am I working in- anymore? Like it's just not worth it. And people are leaving the workforce before uh, they were, you know, their anticipated uh, age of retirement. So that's that's a huge, I believe, huge shift that that should um, fuel definitely some somewhat of a higher inflation down the work down the road. So I'm I'm going to play devil's advocate, even though I actually I I think I agree with you. I'm I'm not 100% sold on that yet, but uh, I, I'm I'm certainly leaning that way. But the other side would say, look at Japan. Japan had a shrinking labor force, shrinking population for. 30 years, 40, 30 plus years, give or take. Uh, and and they have absolutely no inflation, not even not even a hint of inflation from any perspective, neither domestically driven inflation nor internationally driven. I think I think the focus should be on the domestic side. But uh, like services prices are not particularly firm in Japan. And, and so that's what others on the kind of the folks who don't necessarily believe in, in the narrative you just you just laid out uh would ask what what do you say to that yeah uh <laughs> that's that's a classic right uh comparing um you know any kind of theory to japan makes that theory worthless i'd say the the like I, i'd go first of all i i could go the other way and say why didn't we see any inflation out of china over the last 10 15 years where they had the biggest boom ever in terms of leverage in terms of growth in terms of population, what have you put put it on, and you 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 just simply didn't see any inflation. So they had the the complete reverse of what we saw in Japan, and still had no inflation. And so, uh, as for Japan, basically there, there's there's I mean it's a complex system. 
like there's much more than one variable and and i think that's the big issue in in finance and in economy and the economics sorry is that people tend to focus on just one or two variables to explain something but there's like plenty of other ones uh in terms of japan they've been they've still been surrounded by like a, a huge deflationary force by technology and and china actually so they've bring it, it, it could supply china could supply a lot a lot of cheap product uh at you know cheaper level year after year basically and so they could access uh that supply and and they could buy it with their huge uh current account surplus so i believe that's might be a reason why we haven't seen inflation come out of out of japan in uh in a situation where the whole system is getting older uh you might you you might have a more direct impact of of uh, getting older and and basically we need to know as well that as you get close to retirement it's extremely deflationary because you know when you're in your 40 45 until 60 you actually produce a lot but consume a lot less because you, you put aside some some savings and so your you know supply demand curve shift dramatically and so this is the deflationary period we were in and but but it's kind of a binary thing it's the moment you get retired the moment you switch it's a binary thing you you want you go from highly deflationary to an inflation scenario and so this is this is a tricky part with um, the whole the, the you know the population getting older. It is deflationary up to a certain point, and we're getting into that point, particularly when all the assets are so rich that it's you know easy for everybody to to retire and live on their their savings. Okay, so so what what does this what does this mean for bonds then? All right, so now you're in the camp that yields are poised to push notably higher, and like I mean. Two percent long bonds. Uh, so, so there's two parts. Like the first part is is inflation. Um, as again, first of all, I think I think we're having some short term high inflation that will uh, subside in the coming months. I mean, and this is a whole. It's a big debate right now. I mean, Bridgewater um, sent a piece a few days ago on I on how inflation will persist. Um, I, th- I think the paper was kind of wrong in a few points, so I'm not agreeing really with it. But it it makes a lot of people talk. But so I, st- I still think inflation will fade it to a lower level, although it might be higher than previously. But the the, the other thing is that I, I I do think growth will will just go back to much more normal uh, level, which which should be kind of depressed level. And 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 to explain this point of view, I'm I, I can go to um, to Lacyons, uh, as we know that he's he's you know a Uber bull on on bonds, and he's been right actually for forty years, so he's not bad. But basically, he's been saying and he's been referring to quite a few papers that says that you know as as a country gets more indebted, uh, growth naturally goes lower. Because you kind of tax the future growth of your economy, and and that, as a certain point, has uh, much less meaningful impact. The multiplier of government debt 
is might be actually negative right now. So he's he's been referring to um, Reiner and Rogoff. I think they they printed a pretty epic book. Uh, I guess back in two thousand and ten or twelve, uh, they've been criticized because I think two countries had their data uh, not entered properly, but it it was insignificant countries, so it didn't change the the results of the the research. But basically, if we've been adding a ton of debt all across the world, we like people believe we just created uh, growth and 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 wealth out of nothing. It's just it's just not the case. We're we're still living on that pile of money that we've printed and we added to the economy this year, and uh, this will quickly turn into a headwind uh, somewhere next year. Actually, the fiscal impact will turn into like a minus 3% kind of thing per um, per quarter uh, annualized somewhere in the second half of 2022. So growth will be, I, I think, I think people will be shocked about uh, at how much growth will be um, at a much lower level. And so that's, that's the point. Like how can, how can the government how can central banks raise their interest rates, even in an inflationary world where there's just too much debt and growth isn't there? I, I like, I, I mean, look at, I look at the Canada front end right now, yielding, you know, 1%, 105, I don't know where it is right now, but it's, we're basically pricing six hikes for next year. Like I'm, I, I just don't, I don't just don't think that, that the Canadian, um, people can handle six hikes, particularly the, when when most of them are in, on their, are on um, you know floating uh, rate for their mortgages. Uh, they've been buying a second house this year. They've been uh, taking home equity loans to buy a boat, uh, renovation, etc. And so they're much more indebted and 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 on and on a um, floating rate. So I. I don't think rates will go much higher than than it is right now, like across the board from two to longs. Okay, so you so despite higher inflation, you think weaker growth wins out at the end of the day, and that keeps the rate market relatively in check around where we are now. Fair. I mean, the most dominant trade for for all year has been uh, real rates. I, I I still think I still think real rates are uh, a bargain. Like in the U.S., um, if you be- believe inflation is not coming back, let's say it's go- it's going back to one and a half percent, the Fed won't raise. They just don't want. They just won't raise next year or even two years in the future. So r- the front end will be zero minus one percent and a half or two percent inflation. You get two percent real yield negative. And if 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 they go if the inflation goes to three three and a half percent. The Fed will raise rates, but to what? One, one and a half? Like, what's the maximum rate they could go in this cycle, given the amount of leverage? I'm guessing not more than one and a half percent. So you still end up with minus 2% real yield. So that's why TIPS has been such a popular investment. Yeah, real real 10-year yields in the U.S. are minus 1.12% right now. So Yeah, and people have been fading this move. Fading this move, but it's it was it it, it was a dominant trade, still is, 
and uh, there's been a lot of people, I think, coming in this, into this market and uh, over the, the previous few months. Let's bring in Francois here. So JM thinks that growth is going to be on the soft side, really, as as the fiscal stimulus wears off next year and, and you get a bit of a hangover on that front. Uh, inflation near term is going to be solid. Uh, if, if somewhat, I mean, it, it will fall over time. But, but still stay relatively elevated than what we've had over the past decade. In that environment, you've had, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, central banks inflating assets for 12 years. We are currently at the tights in a number of, of credit spreads. Provi's provincial spreads are at post-COVID tights and look pretty rich generally. Is it maybe time to worry about risk assets and, and provincial spreads? Uh, are, are spreads too tight here? Uh, yeah, I share your opinions on um, on inflation. I think uh, you've both noted some interesting facts. And also, like you wrote about it earlier this week, and uh, our new guy, uh, Liri, also wrote about it uh, earlier on, that we thought it would be affect most of the goods demand would shift to services as we open back our economies. But we've seen that demand for good has remained very elevated. And uh, it's not only supply-side driven inflation, but it's also uh, demand-driven. So I think we we persist in that type of environment and that this uh, will force the hand. Seem, the Bank of Canada, anyway, seems more uh, worried about that than, uh, than the Fed at the moment. Uh, but I do think this will force the hand of them to to hike sooner rather than later, because I think prints are going to be are going to remain elevated still for the foreseeable future. That being said, we've seen that numerous times over the years where when we start to put in some more uh, strict Bank of Canada policies where risky assets tend to sell off, we're not seeing that at all at the moment, right? Uh, we're just really, really seeing some uh, so some some strong demand across the board just showing uh, the amount of cash that's in the system and that's been uh, that's been put to work. That being said, I do think there are some opportunities to fade some defensive trades to put on, uh, considering maybe buying CMBs versus Ontario in certain terms, or uh, going into into provinces that have better fiscal outlooks. We've had a uh, numerous amount of uh, of uh, fiscal update revisions, right? And uh, there's still others to come. We have Quebec next week. Uh, we have Alberta set to table uh, fiscal revisions by the end of the month. Um, I think those names should do very well with the higher level in oil that we've seen compared to their assumptions assumptions in their budget. So I do think there's some strategic things to do on the on the provincial curve, uh, some tactical uh, allocations into different names as well. But I do think that overall, like you're saying, we're back to post-COVID tights. We're also back to pre-COVID tights and in certain tenors, right? You look at the 10-year sector, we look Quebec 10s, call it, for example, low 50s versus Canada's. We didn't we didn't trade through 50 uh, pre-COVID either in 10-year Quebec. So like we're right there. I think the long end uh, has been very intriguing. I continue to favor long end spreads versus 10s. The credit box had steepened significantly on the back of much larger issuance. And that's that's been revised down significantly. So I continue to favor that. But uh, yeah, we can keep on discussing about that uh, a little later on if you want. 
Well, I, what we've seen uh, in, in the provincial space in the long end is, is you've seen some inversion, a credit inversion in the long end, despite some steepening in Canada's. Uh, can you can you explain what's behind that uh, and, and if it's going to last? Yeah. So at the beginning, when Canada 53s got introduced, uh, that had the instant effect of steepening long pro rules. So Ontario 52s, 53s uh, cheapened up significantly versus uh 51s that were at the time benchmarks. And uh, that persisted for a month or two, uh, got to cheap levels north of two, two and a half basis points for that that simple extension. Even in Ontario, you look at a bond like Ontario 52s that has a shorter duration than the 51s. Nevertheless, you, you, were, extent, you were moving out the curve and making a pick while you're retracting in duration terms. So that was kind of a uh, weird scenario we don't see very often. And everybody was saying, oh, well, the Canada roll is steep, so this one should be steep too. Fair enough. When both rolls are significantly positive, now the thing is the long end has inverted. We've seen significant selling September, early October of the back dates, 43s, 45s, 6s, 8s, and all that. And um, the dealers were stuck with that that balance sheet, were not able to move it, and then cheapened it. And the inversion into the long end appeared. Now, we've seen that numerous times in the provincial space over the years, but it was always accompanied by an inverted Canada curve as well. And now we're looking at a Canada curve that's very positive in the long end. You see Canada 53-51 roll north of three at the moment, while both 45s, 48s, 51s, 48s, around one beep. You can say Bank of Canada owns a lot of the backdate, backdated long bonds in Canada, which is true. But you look at 51 specifically, they're a $51 billion issue size, right? And 17, only 17 billion is owned by the bank. So it's a very large issue, very large outstanding. Yet it continues to outperform 53s significantly. Now, I think that's an opportunity for any accounts that do own the provincial benchmark, the 52s, 53s, to retract and box it up. So retract in credit terms uh, and buy Canada 53, 51 on the other side, sell Quebec 53 versus Quebec 51, for example, and put that credit box on. I think it's more of a real money trade than a fast money trade because it takes balance sheet if you do not own the pieces. But I, I definitely think that's a strategic thing you should be doing right now because I think the Canada role is going to flatten to compensate for the Ontario and the Quebec role can't keep inverting if the Canada role stays as much positive as it is right now in my mind. That sounds like an, an excellent idea. I think uh, hopefully we can get some some uh, investors on, on board on that one. You you talked about being a little bit defensive earlier and, and maybe uh, finding some, some opportunities there. Uh, just, I guess, kind of broader question about about the provincial market. We've seen significant market dislocations uh, on, on the Canada front, especially in the swap market. Have you seen similar type of illiquidity and, and, and a similar type of difficult trading environment on the provincial front, or has it been a bit more orderly? Yeah, it has created some, uh, some big and quick moves in the front end. Um, for those who I've been talking to uh, uh, on a daily basis, most of you knew I was expecting some bank treasuries to unwind asset swap in the front end to extend further out the curve. Uh, most bank treasuries had been loading on in asset swaps at the peak of the crisis, March 2020, 
or April and uh, buying very, very cheap assets on asset swap. And all these things were into money. So uh, I was expecting as a new uh, bank fiscal year to start to uh, crystallize some of those gains to start the year with a bit of a cushion. Now, that being said, uh, with the Bank of Canada at the end of October, we've seen that materialize very, very quickly as swap spreads exploded wider. We did see very good interest for asset swap unwinds in the two, three, four year term. And uh, that really blew out uh, front end spreads and provies. So uh, we had a five year, 10 year credit box uh, trading around 30, 29 beeps going into that. And now we're mid mid 20. So like call it 25 and a half, 25 area. Um, so the front end has really been affected because we saw a significant amount of selling from that community uh, as they were unwinding asset swaps. Now there's still opportunities. I think, I think anybody who owns paper in 2023, 2024 on asset swap, you basically roll up the curve either way you go, right? So if, if you extend, you make a pickup. And if you retract into 22s, you also make a pickup. So anybody still sitting on, on 2023, 2024 paper on asset swap should look to move out of these, uh, regardless really of what's the, the, the outright level they're at, uh, that's just there's there's no juice to extract out of these bonds anymore, so that's what I think we should continue to see. And we've seen this week and last week some some of these types of extension happen. Still, yes, I I, I totally agree, hundred percent on board there. Uh, swap spreads are are not sustainable at these levels. I mean, they're they're a function of a effectively broken front end market in Canada. Uh, and and just a, a lack of participation by a lot of uh, global macro investors that you usually see in Canada policing the market that just are absent at the moment. They will come back eventually, and that that will that will normalize things. But uh, we're 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 not uh, we're not there quite yet. Yeah, you you can't really blame that community. Like everybody's seen the articles that were coming out over the last uh, couple of weeks, right? With uh, with the blowouts mostly related to the front end of Canada and other names like Australia, Sterling and all that stuff versus the US, right? So exactly. it'll take some time, I think. Yeah. Exactly. Agreed. JM, any 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 thoughts on, on the profi market here? Uh you talk to a lot of investors and I'm sure you have some thoughts of your own as well. Um I <laughs> I, I think uh Francois you know, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh swap the the extension seems to be the uh, obvious trade the only problem with this trade is that i believe nobody has it anymore um <laughs> i think treasuries have been unwinding as he said uh, uh the, the short end of the curve and they've been they've been putting that trade at a uh, you know much worse level uh than we are right now and so they, they don't have ammo in terms of uh short-term product to sell so i'd say I still, I still like risk in general. Um, I, I think, I mean, I, I know we're entering tapering mode, but um, there, there's so much liquidity, and this uh, this Fed liquidity just went through through the RRP program, uh, the reverse repo facility uh, that stands right now at 1.4 trillion, which is uh, about 70% of Soma. Just kind of huge. So basically, the, all the money they're printing is just they're taking it back on the other side. So that it, may, it means the the system is flush with cash, and in, in this environment, really tough to be uh, to be bearish on risk, and particularly at this time of the year 
uh, well, we all know that, you know, the, the, the Santa rally is upon us. Uh, there's that, you know, coupon trade payment as well. So basically buying tens and longs pro V, I definitely don't mind even if, even if the levels are, you know, tighter than they, they were not long ago. Uh, I'm going to ask both of you a question and whoever wants to go first, that's fine. Uh, it, it doesn't concern you at all that, that there are in more than one market dislocations. I mean, it, it, it definitely feels as though there are market jitters throughout, throughout the bond market in, in much of the world. Risk assets are expensive. I mean, we, as you said a bunch of times, uh, assets have been rallying for 12 years and, and stocks are at record highs, spreads are at record tights. Um, there that doesn't concern you with with the Fed pulling back and uh, that we get some kind of hiccup from uh, I, I don't know what I guess that's kind of the point you, you you really never know but things are already already so so rich that feels as though uh, the risks right now are are asymmetric. Hundred percent. I think as you've mentioned, uh, the fact that you see and observe many dislocations in the market is uh, worrying a lot of people. And then every time I have that conversation, I always say, what do you do about stocks? Why do stocks keep rallying? Why do assets like households, uh, uh, housing keeps rallying? And just see that immense pile of cash. But if you go back to pre-COVID, I think a lot of us would have said that they were already starting to be cautious at the time about how the economy was going, about how if we were going to enter into a recession, yes, the pandemic triggered something but if we go back two years i think at that time a lot of people were worried about how everything was rich already now you've injected a bunch of cash lived on a life support for for a year and a half or two but then reality comes back and you kind of go back to the semantics and the, everything that's behind it to me uh, asset prices here credit spreads stocks, everything, and the dislocation of the market is very uh, concerning. And uh, we could see some some lower risky assets in the, in the near term, I think. JM, quick two cents, and then I'll, we'll get to your favorite trades. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I need to agree as well that, that for, first, I'd say the system is definitely more fragile than, than it was. So... Uh, and as uh, Migraine said, you don't care that you don't have breaks when you go up the hill. And, and that's what's happening right now. Uh, once you start coming off, go down the, the hill, uh, that's, that's, that's another issue. Um, the thing is, is, I still think we're a bit early to be too cautious. Uh, as I said, there's ample and ample of liquidity. Um, Americans have been generating excess savings in the order of two to two and a half trillion dollars, kind of thing. So it's huge, huge stockpile of money that they uh, haven't deployed really in the real economy. Um, they could still, and they've put that money to work in, in investment, but they, they still have a ton of money in deposits that they could invest. I think we're a bit too early to be cautious. The, the thing is that. I still believe the Fed has some decent possibility to not hike next year, uh, contrary to what people think. I think people are a bit too optimistic on, on rate hikes, where I think pricing two hikes for 2022 on, uh, in terms of the Fed. Um, 
if 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 I'm wrong and if inflation is definitely stickier and and remains at definitely higher levels, I, I'd I'd really start to be worried because we've been living on a Fed put since 2008. Every time since 2008 that the market cracked, thinking of the 2011 2012 euro crisis, the 2015. Um, China devaluation, the um, Valmageddon, and then COVID. Every time, every single time the Fed came and and saved the market in terms of printing money or bringing down the rates. The day that inflation sticks and they cannot cut the rates or they cannot print because there's too much inflation. There's just no support underlying all the the, the you know the risk assets that are price to a sky high level and so yeah clearly there's some much bigger risk i think than people think there is like to a, to a northern magnitude higher but uh i'll <laughs> i'm willing i'm willing to stick a bit in the game uh, as for now but definitely until maybe uh spring or summer next year okay uh, interesting, different, different. So not not quite unanimous here, but uh, we're all we're all the concern is growing. Uh, so maybe may time to start worrying, but uh, we're not 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 quite uh, full blown concern just yet. Uh, favorite favorite trades, one each, and then we'll, uh, we'll we'll call it a day. What do you think? Uh, why don't we start with with Francois, and then we'll go to Jam. Yeah, so maybe regroup uh, a few different themes. Uh, I spoke about uh, we're going into DS one, DS two coupon payment. Usually that's supportive for spreads in the near term. Uh, the issuance picture looks pretty uh, pretty light going into it uh, as opposed to some other years we've seen. So I think uh, the demand's going to outweigh whatever kind of supply we're going to get from the issuers. Always tends to favor also the long end just because of the fact that uh, there are some extensions as well in the index at that time. It's not as large necessarily this year, but uh, favor long end. So the way I would express that by selling Ontario 10 years to buy the back dates. So going into 48s, 49s, or 50s uh, in terms of credit extensions or credit boxes, I think that's how you uh, still pick up the sweet spot. Now that has moved this week about a beat from uh, from mid last week. Uh, we're still in mid 16s area, but as you know, like the long-term average on that trade has been much flatter. Yes, the issuance profile in Canada, govies and provies is tilted toward more longs over the years but i think we can still we can still flatten from here and that uh, fair value is closer to 15 to 14s at the moment thank you jam um i'll give you mine my recommendation with a little caveat um <laughs> I, I like the front end in canada twos are one-year swap, two-year swap, one-year, one-year forward, what have you. But um, definitely in swap looks better because, as you said, sauce is just uh, uh, crazy high right now. Caveat is that I I suggested a trade like 20 beeps ago at, at 85 beeps in twos. Um, I, I thought it was a ripping deal. So, I mean, if, if I if I like them at 85, I'm just in love with them above a percent pricing Right around six hikes for next year is just complete nonsense to me. Uh, I don't believe it will happen. So we won't realize those hikes. And so this this trace carry really well. 
uh, depending on which version you you you, you take. But it's you just time is with you. And again, as I think inflation will uh, fade a bit, and 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 we'll realize the economy is not as strong. Uh, I think uh, the pricing of Ikes will uh, definitely shift lower. So, all right, thank you. Thanks for that. I I, I kind of half agree. I I think there there is still some room for the bank to be maybe a little more aggressive, at least front loaded than than the market thinks. And and like if just if inflation takes off a little more than expected, uh, I put that out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that. But uh, if they are to be more aggressive, it won't be. They won't have as many rate hikes as what's priced. I think the 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 the, the amount of hikes is the problem, not necessarily when they start. Uh, that that's my real issue. It's, it's going to be really hard for the bank to consistently move rates back up to neutral of around kind of one seventy five or two percent in in pretty short order, without really destroying the housing market uh, or, or just really crushing the economy in a way that that, that they don't want to, and, and that would also put them well ahead of the Fed. So I don't think they want necessarily that either because the Canadian dollar would get too strong. Uh, on that note, I think we should wrap things up here. Uh, both uh, JM and Farswab, both thank you very much for, uh, for for coming on the show and uh, look forward to having you again soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Ben. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.